I stand before you, um, and I, I want to just start out with a confession. When I was in high school, um, a friend of mine could not do her babysitting job, and so she contacted me, she must have been desperate, and asked me to cover a babysitting job. It was for her next-door neighbors who had grown up um, right next to her, and, and I, I actually, it was open to my schedule, I agreed to it, because I like working with kids, and uh, there was a two-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy, and I was sitting on the couch, I was going to read a book to them, and the, um, she was two or three at the time, anyway, she came to me and she whispered in my ear, Ben, I hate you. <laughs> and so, um, since that day, I've been working toward building trust with students. Um, it was awesome, it made me laugh. But, uh, but I, I start with that story to say, um, we've all made mistakes, we've all messed up, and, uh, and so hopefully today uh, we'll be able to work together in the right direction. I want to start with a, a story here. How many of you have played the game Nine Square, or Nine Square in the Air? A number of you, yes. We have uh, two of these portable kits um, at, at Camp Grace Adventures where I work, and uh, one of the legs broke. And so I called the company and I said to them, I need to order a new leg for this. And I actually I didn't call them. I went online and I just ordered the part. Two, no, yeah, two days later, they called me and said, Ben, I see that you ordered this part, but I want you to know it's covered under warranty. So we've refunded you the money and we're sending you the leg. And I went, oh. All of a sudden, my perspective of that organization changed. Now, I don't, whether you buy nine square in the year, I'm not selling their product. Although, I <laughs> mentioned that, no. <laughs> but I tell you that to say, they were a company of integrity, and they immediately gained trust with me. Because they didn't have to do that. I had already paid the money. It took actually extra effort on their part, and they lost money in order to follow through. And I went, oh, this company is one of integrity, and I will be staying with them as a customer for years to come. So I wanted want to start, and I want to brainstorm together. So my role, I'm going to teach you some things, but I also want to just facilitate some conversations so that we can learn from one another. Because one thing I know, I live uh, just inside of 90 miles. And experts are always 90 miles away. So, so let's, let's answer question number one. Just raise your hand. Let's, let's work on this together. What makes building trust, this, building trust, so important with students? What do you think? Kids don't learn from people they don't trust. Kids don't learn from people they don't trust. Excellent. Someone else. In the back. They may not have any other adults in their life that they can trust. They may not have anyone else who they can trust. True. Unfortunately. Over here. We're reflecting the Lord and His trustworthiness. We reflect the Lord and His trustworthiness. Good. Anyone else? Learning may involve um, making mistakes or failures, so they need to be comfortable in that space. Good insight. And we have to create a safe place for them to be able to make mistakes. And when there's trust, we, we're able to create that environment. What were you going to say? Trust allows students to interpret what we're saying 
come with a more open-minded perspective and know that we have their best at interest? Or their, yes. Could you hear that in the back of the room? Yeah. Trust allows our students to interpret what we say when we have their trust with a greater openness and... Um, I, I missed the last part of it. Right. They can... They trust that we want what's best for them. They trust that we want what's best for them. Good. Thank you. Good. Anyone else? Qu question number two, then. What are the benefits once we've built trust? Similar. But, but think through. Is it, think through. Student that you, ha you know I have this person's trust. What are, what's the benefit of that? It makes classroom management a lot easier. <laughs> makes classroom management easier. And how many of you would like easier classroom management? <laughs> yeah, preaching. Preaching. Okay. Yep. Good. There's no longer a block of second guessing what's being said so they can take what you say at face value. Good. Removes the blocking of um, making that decision. Is this valuable or not? Do I trust? Yeah. Good. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, increased motivation as well. Increased motivation as well. Mm -hmm. So I'll say it to you this way. When I uh, get to travel to some different schools, and um, when I sit down with students, I will often ask them, what's your favorite subject? And they'll tell me, and I'll say, what about that subject? What, what do you like about science? Mm -hmm. Mr. So-and-so teaches it. Oh. It, you're all nodding your heads. Because you know that this is absolutely true. Because when students trust you, when you've built that trust relationship, they are motivated to come to your class and to learn and to grow through that process. So um, when it comes to adult learning, you need to know the benefits of what I'm teaching. So that's what I'm giving you right now. And then we're going to go into the how-to aspect of it. All right? So here we go. And... For those of you, I had a handout on the, on the stool. Does anybody need a handout? A couple of you over here. Uh, perfect. Grab one of those. There's two left. I also sent it to her via PDF, so it should be online, and you're welcome to look it up there. And Scott will run and uh, grab a few. Okay, perfect. So here we go. We're going we're to jump in. Um, number one, in order to uh, build relationship, build a trust relationship with students, we need to risk vulnerability. So before I jump in, I was, as I was sitting this morning um, at my, my booth, I was reading some articles, and one of the articles that I read this morning talked about Gen Z. And uh, as you guys are teaching Gen Z, I, we are at, at Grace as well. I read the article, and uh, it said two things about Gen Z. It said they're leaving the church in droves. And, and this was a pastor who was writing, or an administrator at a Christian college. And, and he said, there's two pieces about uh, Gen Z of, they're one, they're anti-establishment. And he said, it's because they've lost trust. If we're going to get Gen Z to stay, we have to build trust with them. So building trust. He said, secondly, authoritative leadership. Nope, Relation, relational authority. That's how they said it, relational authority. That we have to establish structure and firmness, but we have to build relationship in the process. And so um, I went, awesome. That's exactly where I want to go. Here, number one. So we need to risk vulnerability because students,
students want to follow somebody who's real, not who's always right. They want to follow somebody who's real, not who's always right. And I stole that phrase from Craig Rochelle, who uh, has a leadership podcast, and I love, he repeats it every one, but it reminds me, we want to follow people who are real. People who are willing to admit when they make a mistake. Bob Tissett, a mentor of mine, says it this way. As we work with students, we don't want to, we have to be real with them. He says, I, I, I use this illustration. It's like a bag of dirty laundry that you take out and say, look at guys, I have a bag of dirty laundry too, but you don't take it out piece by piece and show them each piece of the dirty laundry. Make sense? So you have to show them, hey, I'm having a bad day today, but you don't have to tell them the exact situation that you're dealing with that's above their head or out of their pay grade, right? <laughs> so um, the difference here, too, is the difference between predictability trust and vulnerability trust. So Patrick Lencioni, in, uh, who's the author of The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, um, really good author. But anyway, one of the things that he says is there's a predictability trust that when you build a routine and a rhythm every day, they know what to expect. Okay, And as they sit in your classroom over this whole year of time, they learn to know what are the things that bug you? What are the things that interest you? How are you going to respond if I come in and I do this? That's predictability trust. And we have that with our peers as well. We know if I say to the principal this, I'm going to get this response. Especially if you've worked with them for greater than, say, five years, you establish a predictability trust. But what we want to do is we want to establish a vulnerability-based trust. Because a vulnerability-based trust is where they go, oh, it's safe here because you had to ask for help. You had to ask for forgiveness, that you are sorry for something, and you've created a space where it's okay to not be okay all of the time. That, that all of a sudden, that expectation of, I don't have to just perform to be loved or to be noticed. I am cared for in this place. That's where we're, where we're headed, is a vulnerability-based trust. Now, um, I could spend uh, a long time on this concept. It's one of my favorites. So I will uh, take just a minute and say, as we establish in our leadership, we want to have clear, high, consistent, enforceable expectations. If you want to build trust with students, one of the ways you start is by putting the boundaries in place. They need those expectations. They will rise to where you set them, so we want them to be high. We want them to be clear, so we have to talk about them. We can't just assume they're going to figure it out. We need to be consistent because that's the one of the things as, um, as our students are coming from home environments that continue to fall apart more and more, that consistency is what they're lacking. And so when they know I'm going to get the same expectation today and tomorrow and the next day, there's great safety in that. And trust is built inside of that. And then enforceable. Because here's the deal. If you don't enforce it, it's not an expectation. It's a suggestion. Because those of 
your students who are wired like me are going to push those boundaries until they find out, are you going to hold the boundary? They, they just, it's just out of curiosity, mainly, and fun, and boredom sometimes, and, and that we're born sinners. But, but you've got to enforce those things. So I, I don't want to spend a lot of time there. Now, the, the flip side of that, though, is you have to provide the structure, but you also have to provide the support, the encouragement. Okay? So it needs to be timely. So it's really nice when you stand up in front of your class and say, guys, you did a great job yesterday. Okay? Great. But that's not specific. So you want to address an individual student, and you want to say, man, I noticed yesterday that you did this, and all of a sudden, and that's, I, I, I just need to admit right now, I don't always follow my bullet points in order. So I'm, I'm dropping down to specific because that's where my mind went. Okay? So you've got to be specific. Point out the specific area, okay? It's got to be timely because two weeks from now, they don't remember it, okay? So it's got to be timely. It also can be written or verbal. And some of us are great verbally. I'm not great verbally. I grew up in a family where my dad would tell me when I um, did something right. Actually, I just assumed I was doing it right unless he told me wrong. Because he didn't tell me a lot of the time. He loved me, but it, was, it wasn't, it was just assumed you're doing fine unless I let you know. And so just by observation of his parenting style, that's my default. So I have had to work to go, okay, verbal. Now raise your hand if you need one. Scott will come around and get a handout to you. <clears throat> but here's the other thing. Written encouragement is awesome because they get it right then and can read it and you can articulate it and you can go, oh, no, that doesn't sound exactly how I wanted to say and you can think through it and then you give it to them in writing and a week from now they can look back on it. And two weeks from now they can look back on it. And truth be told, some of your students... And my guess is some of you, if you ever got a written encouragement letter, some of you still have that letter tucked away somewhere, don't you? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so we, want to, we want to do that for, for our students. Here we go. Moving right along. So the first thing we want to do is we want to build connections. And this is starting right away. Uh, right out the chute uh, of, of the school year. So if you haven't done some of these things, you're late. Um, so I want to just, I mean, this is super simple, and, and I just, I don't assume that uh, we all start here, but you need to learn your students' names. You need to learn not just their name, but if you can know their nickname, that's great too. Not that you have to call them by their nickname, but you want to know their nickname so that if you hear somebody else say something about that nickname, you know who they're talking about. Okay? I often have, and I don't say like a pet name, but I, I often use first and last names together and I make it one fluid sentence. And that's what I call someone. So we had somebody on our staff, her name was Hannah Dites, and so I just called her Hannah Dites. Like it's one word. The problem when she got married and changed her name took me about a year to change to calling her, and I still slip up once in a while. But, but I say that to say there's, 
Not only do we want to know our students' names, but you want to learn as many students' names. Because you may have them next year, or you may have their sibling next year, or what you're know saying, or if you ever have to address them in the hallway, you want to know their name. Because people respond to their name. It's, that's kind of base level 101. Moving around. Number two, know their story. We all have a story, and some of us teach in a small Christian school, 100 people total, K through 8th grade, that's awesome. That's such a privilege because you get to know the family and you get to know the parents, where if you're in a high school like this of 1,500 and you have 200 different students that come through your classroom uh, each week, it's going to take a lot more work. So here's just a real... Um, uh, one, one thing that I, I use, I use family. So I ask them about brothers and sisters. I ask them about parents um, and uh, grandparents because I like to make connections. If I know somebody in their family, that helps me remember them, but it also connects me to their bigger story. Um, I also will ask about interests, whether that's sports, whether that's like what are the things you read about when you, oh, you like reading? What type of genre? Do you like to read? I don't use genre with uh, elementary students, however. <laughs> that word, anyway. So, um, ask for interest. Ask for recreation. What are the things that they do for fun? And then ask them questions about what they do for fun. When are, they, when are they doing it again? When did they last do it? What about it excites them? And so all of a sudden, and, and this is, I grew up with a mom who when I got home from being with my friends or my girlfriend, she drilled me with questions. It was an interrogation every Friday night. Okay? It's because she cared. And she wanted to know. And I knew if I was going to take a left turn, that I either had to make up a story, or I was going to have a very good reason to make a left turn up from my plans that I had laid out with her, right? And so, but I've, I've watched how she's done this, and she continues to do it today, not just with her sons and daughters, but with everybody she comes in contact with. She's building connections through asking questions. And when we ask questions, we get to know people's stories. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take just a minute because, um, oh, we're going to keep going. I'll do that later. Moving on. Here's, this is super fun. Find something that you have in common with them. Now, now let me, let me say, say this, um, whether it's uh, baseball, a sport, uh, a hobby, activity, Dude Perfect is a, a YouTube channel. Um, if, if there's something that you, yeah, what is that sign? Yeah, yeah sorry. Um, I, I, I'm somebody who just believes baking cookie dough is a waste of time. So, does, does anybody else have that commonality with me? God bless you. God bless you. The rest of you can maybe achieve that at some point. But find something that you have in common with that student, and then you can check on that commonality. You can have them report on that commonality. I had a middle school band teacher who was interested in fishing. And he knew that I enjoyed fishing, and he would check on me throughout the school year, not every day, not every week, but he would check on me and ask about that, and that was a connection that he and I had. And I'm now a few years out of middle school, mm -hmm. and I still remember that. 
So that was a connection that he used on purpose. Now, this is also really, really a, a tremendous. This is a little bit more difficult in your, um, in your role, but create shared experiences. Create shared experiences. Going to a baseball game. I don't know if you guys can do that for a field trip. Um, going to a... a serving together is an awesome way to build connection. Um, playing together. Um, so so here's, here's what I watch. I, I, I live and work at Grace Adventures, which is in the Silver Lake Sand Dune area. We're a Christian camp and training center. And we have school groups that come in the fall, come in the spring, and do school camps, day programs, um, and that sort of thing. I just say that as background to say, when I see teachers who come and who participate with their students, they build shared experiences. And I'm going to tell you, those teachers are highly effective at building relationship. I can't tell you how well they do at teaching their subject matter, but I can tell you which teaching staff the students like. I can tell. I watch kids, and I observe, and it's the ones who do things with them. Now, I get this, especially, especially young boys. Okay? Women are wired to look at each other face-to-face -face over coffee and look into each other's eyes. <laughs> this isn't how guys do relationship. Okay? Guys, we do it side by side. So driving somewhere together, shoulder to shoulder, is much less intimidating and much more comfortable. When I started going to a church, for three years, I, and I'm fairly outgoing, struggled to build relationships. Until I played basketball on Thursday night with some guys, those were the guys who I was most comfortable connecting with in the church lobby. So I just say that to say, to build connections with boys, shared experience. You can break the ice, you can connect in a way that you cannot just through asking questions. Okay? And we have a men's retreat this weekend, and this is exactly what we're doing. We're creating shared experiences for guys, and then we teach God's Word as well, but the connections that they make through the shared experience. Things like shooting paintball at their buddy as they go down the zip line, that is an awesome shared experience. All right, moving on. How to build um, trust as you interact with them on a daily, weekly, ongoing basis. So here we go. Number one, love them. I'm not teaching you anything new. I just want to give you another perspective. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is not just an option that Jesus gives us. This is a command, right? So this is a command of our Lord and Savior. We, um, so, so a couple things here. As we love our students, we have to see beyond the behavior to the heart. The behavior is a megaphone that they use, especially younger ones, who don't know how to say what they're feeling. So we have to see past the behavior to the heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Bible says, "Man, God does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's in the context of Samuel anointing David to be the next king. 
and David's, all his older brothers were studs, and God uh, said, no, not him, no, not him, no, not him, don't, do you have another son? And that's where God said, hey, I don't look at the things guy that men looks at. God looks at the heart. So we have to see past the outward appearance of the heart. As we look to students' hearts, <clears throat> number one, we need to think of them highly. They are a creation of God, created in his image. Number two, Jesus died on the cross for each one of them. And number three, if they have accepted Christ into their life, they now have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. So as we treat our students is a reflection of how we're treating God. Didn't say your student was God. Let me clarify. But how we treat our students is a reflection of how we treat God. Holy Spirit is in their life. Now, sometimes I wish you would work harder. <laughs> I'm not joking, unfortunately. <laughs> Number two, look for the positive. Catch your students doing things well. I had one kid, because I was the camp director, um, the kids that got into trouble the first time, the staff handled. Happens the second time, they handled it a second time and for me. It happened a third time, that's when I dealt with all the trouble kids. So, from administration, you, you get this, you, you, get, you get all the, the, tough, the tough ones. I had one kid who got in trouble three times in one week of camp. This happens every week of camp, happens every week of school too. But one of the things that I noticed was not for two of them, were not, all three of them were unique things. And I went, this kid is creative. He gets into trouble different ways every day. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. And I told him that. I said, hey, here's something I'm noticing about you. You are creative. You're not in trouble here today for what you did yesterday. You came up with a new one. <laughs> Good job. Not for getting in trouble, but for being creative. Now, if you use that creative creativity for God's honor and for his good, wait until the world sees what you can do. So I took and I found something positive and I put it and I cast vision for what he could live into as an image bearer of God. And so what we want to do is we want to love the easy students, the ones that we naturally connect with, and the ones that take work. So important. Here's the last thing. Here's why we want to think highly and we want to look for positive things. Just, just under this loving them. Okay? You don't have to flip your sheet over. Here's what's happening. Okay? Our students, children in general, they have the most reliable authenticity meter. Okay? And they are watching and they are reading your spirit toward them. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Okay? And so they are watching, do you believe in me? Do you care about me? That, that, that's, that's really what they're, they're, and they know. They can tell, is this actually, what's the good pose here? <laughs> I'm working. But, but they're trying to read our spirit. Now, we know this is true because anytime somebody apologizes to us, it's exactly what we're trying to read. Are they just saying sorry because they were told they needed to say sorry? Are they trying to manipulate the situation? Or is there a real sincere heart of repentance? 
behind this, I'm sorry. So as we build trust, we're actually, we're, we're, they're reading our spirit toward them. That's what's happening. Which is why I can give you a whole list of tips and techniques and that kind of thing. <clears throat> but if you really want to truly build trust with people, number one, you're going to need God's help. Okay? And number two, if you're struggling with a student, you need to bring that kid before the Lord and say, God, I'm struggling with this kid. Because this one's tough, and this one's annoying, and I don't think I can do it again tomorrow. I need your help. And that is when he is at his finest. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he, know, he knows how to love the unlovable. And we need his help to do it. <clears throat> we need to look out for them. I have a picture of the president of Grace Adventures. His name is Steve Prudhomme. Many of you have no idea who this man is. I have worked for him for the last 25 summers. He is the most affirming man I've ever worked for. And I trust his heart. We've disagreed on things. We've made difficult decisions. We've walked through very difficult times. But I trust Steve Perot. And I begin to think, why do I trust him so much? It's because he doesn't just look out for Ben. He looks out for Ben's family. He'll walk into my office. He doesn't have to. He can call me to his anytime he wants. And I'll come running because he's the president. He'll come into my office. He'll sit down. He'll ask me, Ben, how's your family doing? Ben, what's going on with this situation? I heard this happen. What? And, and he'll ask me those questions. And I know he's looking out for me. Here's why. Twelve years ago, he sat down in my office. He said, Ben, how you doing? And uh, I wasn't doing well. I was struggling. I let my intern go because uh, he had a job opportunity before his time up was up, and uh, the workload did not diminish, so it doubled on my plate. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, I, I, don't, I don't know what end is up right now, and I don't know how to get through this month. Um, and I broke down. And he looked at me and said, okay, we got to do something. The next day, we had hired one of the staff spouses to be my administrative assistant for a window. I need one full-time year-round, but that's because I'm administratively ungifted. But, <clears throat> but, but he sat there and he went immediately, we need to do something because I'm killing it. And he made a change, and it was costly to the organization. But I watched his leadership, and I went, oh, he's looking out for me. He's not setting me up for failure. He's actually doing what he can do in this moment to help me. So as we build trust, love them, and look out for them. Look out for their best interest. What's going on, and what can we do to help that situation? Number three, as you interact with them, listen to them. Listen to them. And I, I, this is where I was going to go earlier of um, <clears throat> James 1.19, one of my favorite verses. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If only that was easily doable. So what I want to do, I want to just pause here and say, we want to, in order to listen to people, 
In order to know their story, we have to ask questions. And one of the best ways that I know to ask questions is you ask questions based on people's answers. Instead of thinking, what am I going to say in response to what they just told me, we have to think, what am I going to ask in response to what they just told me? So, we're going to do a little activity, because that's what I do, activities. And you're going to need to get a partner. And with your partner, you're going to do what I call a five-question activity. If you've been in one of my workshops before, you may have done this. Deal with it. You need more practice. Question number one, you, you're going to ask. So one partner is going to be the question asker. One partner is going to be the question answerer. So the question asker, you're going to ask five questions. Question number one is, what would you like to talk about? You're just, it's going to be an open-ended question. They're, they get to choose the topic. Okay? Choose a real topic. Choose something that you want to talk about. You're going to answer question number one, and then based on the answer of one, you're going to ask question two. Based on the answer to question two, you're going to ask question three, and so forth, till you have asked five questions. Then switch roles, and then um, you're going to ask five questions, and the first one's going to be, what would you like to talk about? Okay? All right. Everybody have a partner? Raise your hand if you don't have a partner. You can stand up. You can move around a little bit. You need to do this activity.
and I'm seated at a table with people I don't know. So I'm just giving you that today as bonus material. Okay? You're welcome. And it sounds like you've been there before. So, moving on then, moving on, is um, when you ask people to do things, when you're leading somebody and you ask them to do something, if you want to build trust, I would recommend you use this filter. What you ask of them, you would do yourself, or you have done yourself. Because a lot of times kids will, if, if, if you ask them to do something that you would never do, why would they do it? I'm just, I'm just telling you, this is my sinful brain, how it works. But, but if I've done it, so, so one of the things, when I started as a camp uh, cabin leader, uh, we did swim tests because we had to have the non-swimmers separated from the swimmers so we could keep them safe during the week. Um, but we made every kid do a swim test the very first day within two hours of their arrival. Okay, so they're already nervous and scared, and now we throw them in the water. <laughs> we learned. But I say that to say I decided that first summer if my kids are going swimming, I'm going swimming. It wasn't a requirement, but I decided I'm going swimming with them. And I'm telling you, after swim tests was different than before swim tests. Because what I asked them to do, I did with them. Are you willing to do what you're asking them to do? You, maybe you don't have time. Maybe you did it 10 years ago. That's fine. But what you're asking, are you willing to do or have you done? Number two, what you ask of them, you follow up on. This is kind of the boundaries thing as well. Of like, when you ask of them, if it matters, you follow up on it. If, you don't, if it doesn't matter, then they know it doesn't matter to you if you ask them to do it. So when you follow up on it, if it's not done, it gives you the opportunity to give them clear expectations, and they now know, oh, this matters. If they've done it, and you followed up on it, it gives you the opportunity to praise them, and appreciate it, and value it. And all of a sudden, you are demonstrating that you're enforcing that which you're asking them to do. They're not overlooked, they're noticed, and valued, and appreciated. Okay? What you ask of them, you explain why, if you can. Sometimes you can't tell somebody. I remember one time uh, we, we had a, a group that was in our dining facility, and I had an intern, and this guy was um, a D1 recruit. He's 6'4", probably 350 pounds. No, probably closer to 400 pounds. Big guy, and I needed to get him to move from his table to a different location, and I needed it to happen right now. He's three times my size, maybe more, and, um, and I'm thinking, all right, how do I do this in a quick way? But because I had a relationship established with him, I didn't tell him why. I said, I need you to move, and I need you to go here right now. He got up, and he moved. And I was like, oh, that was really cool. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, I bet, though, if I did the same thing to him tomorrow, he wouldn't be willing to do it unless he knew why I was asking him to do it. And I was asking him to do it because, and I told him later, because I had a group of students that I wanted to sit together because I knew they were including one lonely student with them and I needed enough space for that group. 
but I, I didn't in the moment have the time to explain it to him, but I did later, so he knew I wasn't just exercising my authority, I had a reason for what I was doing. And that builds trust. Because then he goes, oh, the next time he asks me, and I don't understand, there's probably a reason for it. What you would ask of them, you would ask of others. Here's the question of, are they singling me out? Are they only doing this to me because I did this and this and this? Or is this something that, that's just a general expectation and I'm being asked to do it? Because that's totally different. So what I'm asking of this person, I would ask of anybody in this same situation. And then finally, what you ask of them is worth doing. <laughs> I chuckle because we had a high school discipleship program and um, we had them serving around camp and I had our groundskeeper had projects for them to do and I found out later one of the things that our groundskeeper had them do was rake the dirt road alongside of camp. They, and they had no idea why they did it. They didn't know if it had ever been done before and so I didn't know why they did it. <laughs> why are we raking the road, Ben? I don't know. <laughs> and so I was like, is this even worth doing? Like, so I just say that because it stuck out in my mind of going, when we ask people to do things, it's got to be worth doing. Now, you, you know we learn through repetition. There's going to be things that are mundane and repetitive. Think Karate Kid. Wax on, wax off, right? <laughs> He didn't know why he was doing it, but when he um, got that skill mastered, it became second nature. It was seamless. And so his mentor was asking him to do something worth doing. It didn't feel like it in the moment. I get that. I'm saying it's okay to do mundane repetitive if they're building toward where you want them to go. But we don't just ask think, people to do things just to fill time. That's me. Okay? And when they find out, destroys trust. Destroys it. Boom. Right? Awesome. Here we go. Into the final, final part here of our, our notes together. <clears throat> when you mess up, a lot of times we think mistakes ruin trust. I think how we respond to mistakes can either break or build trust. We're going to make mistakes, okay? So we're going to do a little, one more activity. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say up. I want you to just put your hand up. When I say down, just put your hand down. So let's practice up, down, down, up, up, down. Perfect. Now from this point forward, when I say up, I want you to put your hand down. When I say down, I want you to put your hand up. So we're just going to flip, flip it around from this point forward. Down. Down, up, down, up, down, up. Perfect. Now, you guys, are, you guys are doing great. You're doing great. So we're going to keep that opposite, but now I'm going to introduce, when I say name, I want you to say your own name out loud one time. Name? Yes. When I say clap, I want you to clap one time. Name? Yes. Clap. Up? Down, name, clap, up, down, 
name, clap. Now we're going to switch name and clap. Here we go. Up, name, clap, down, name, up, clap, down, name, clap, up. All right, good, good, good. All right. Here's, here's why I had you do it, because pretty much um, I was hoping that I could make you make a mistake. Um, that was my goal, honestly. Because here's why. In this case, when you make a mistake, you just laugh it off, because everybody else around you is making a mistake, right? Awesome. Here's what happens, though. When we make a mistake, and we're the person in authority, we're embarrassed, and we think, man, I shouldn't have done that. And so all of a sudden, we have a decision to make. How am I going to respond to this mistake? Three things I think build trust. Number one, admit it. Number two, apologize. And number three, avoid it. Admit it, apologize, avoid. We have to admit when we make mistakes. If we don't admit it, the kids are going to see right through it. They know you made a mistake, and you know you made a mistake. You may as well make it public, right? Here's the other thing. God knows you made a mistake, too, and there's no way you're going to fool him. So admit it. I made a mistake, okay? Number two, apologize. And I, I put this four-step apology process up, and here's why. I grilled this into my kids. I, I haven't done perfectly in any other area of my life, but my kids know how to apologize. And here's why. I want them to say they're sorry. If you're not sorry, it's not an apology. You have to say you're sorry. Number two, you have to be specific if, if the situation requires an apology. Not every mistake does. Okay? If it requires an apology, you have to be specific. Because if somebody says, hey, I'm sorry you feel bad about this, that's not an apology, is it? I'm sorry for what I did to cause this. And I'm sorry for this part of it. That is a real apology. But then you say, I am asking for your forgiveness. You give them the opportunity to forgive you. You can't make them, but you give them the opportunity. And then you say, I will try not to do it again. If you want to build trust with people, you have to do a sincere apology. For what you've done, specific, you need to ask for forgiveness, and then you need to turn and you need to go the other way. If you do that, mistakes actually build trust. Because they go, oh, they'll own up when they make a mistake. That way I don't have to wonder... Are they real? They're real. Especially, like I use the customer service, when it's to your disadvantage to do it and admit it, and you do it anyway, people go, oh, I trust that person. And like I said, kids have the best authenticity meter. And as an authority, you don't have to apologize. Nobody's making you. But when you choose to do it, you will build trust with students. It's hard, it's no fun, but it's worth it. Because it's how God designed it to be. 
Let me end with a couple questions then together. <clears throat> How have you seen, and maybe just and maybe just have you do it with your, your partner or maybe groups of three, in your school, uh, other teachers, other staff, as, as you have seen them build trust, how have you seen others do this well? What were some things that they did? So just take maybe 30 seconds with two or three people next to you and, and see if you can come up with one example or two of ways that this happened well. Ready, go. participation. Have a great rest of your conference.